Did you know that rap battles actually got their start in the Middle Ages? They were called flighting, and two opponents would stand in front of a crowd and hurl insults at each other. This was considered highly entertaining during the 14 and 1500s. And it just goes to prove there is nothing new under the sun. Welcome to the Lore of the South. Lore of the South. Follow the show on social media to keep up with what's going on and to see pics that go along with each episode. Search for Lore of the South on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Welcome back to Lore of the South with me, Kelly Cruz. How the heck are y'all doing? Y'all, it is the last weekend in January. Has this not been like the longest month? I think we've had like three Januaries in a row is what it feels like. Did any of y'all make New Year's resolutions? I haven't talked to y'all in a minute. What's been up with everybody? You know, I used to make them, but then, I mean, like, what do they say? By, like, the 17th, most people have quit them. So, my opinion is just to be nicer. That's what my resolution every year is, is to be nicer. No, Don't be the person that rains on other people's parades. If they're happy with what they're doing... Even if you think it's the dumbest thing in the world, if it makes them happy and it's not hurting them or anyone else, y'all have at it. (laughs) That is my opinion on things. You know, just hold the door for that stranger that's coming in behind you. Wave when someone lets you merge into traffic. Heck, wave when you let some people cross in front of you. It doesn't take anything away from you to be nice and you may make somebody else's day. You may even save them. Who knows? You you never know what other people are going through. So just remember, be nice. All right, I'm going to step off the New Year's soapbox. (laughs) Um, And let's see, what all has been going on? Um, Youngest and oldest kids are back in class. Um, Haley has been touring hospitals where they're going to do their clinical hours at. So that's been really exciting. They got to observe a few operations when they were at Shands at UF and they got to go visit all the different towers that have all the different specialties. It's a huge campus and it's a huge hospital. And then I think today she went to a private hospital and she said she she liked the smallness of it better than the bigger public hospital. And what else? Hmm really not much going on y'all I guess that's a good thing though yeah Mike and his youngest brother are working the new route and and the old one some long hours right now why don't we go ahead and dig up some history making news And y'all, this one comes from all places, a Facebook page called North Carolina Highway and Historical Markers. Many of y'all have probably heard of Wedgwood, China. It's high-priced stuff made in Staffordshire, England. And it is some of the finest pottery and porcelain in the world. Well, in December 1767, they set out in search of a pure white clay to produce their wares. And where did they find a huge deposit of this glorious clay? Why, right here in the south, in the mountains of Cherokee, North Carolina. 
The Wedgwoods called the clay Cherokee clay, and it's what enabled the Wedgwood Company to create their fine and unique pieces. In April of 1768, the Wedgwoods agent was able to secure six tons of the white Cherokee clay. The costs were high to procure this clay, and with trouble brewing in the colonies, the Wedgwoods never did return for more of it. But they did manage to have six tons of it shipped back to England, and it lasted them for 15 years. And y'all, I'm not very good with dates, but all of a sudden, I kind of want to own a piece of Wedgwood Cherokee clay. So I got to figure out a way to remember those those dates that they were important to stuff. Yeah, reading this, it made me want to own a piece of Wedgwood made from that Cherokee white clay. It was a piece of the South, carried across the ocean and formed into something fine and British. And if any of y'all know anything about Wedgwood, y'all let me know, because I know zip, except for it's expensive. <laughs> I mentioned on the last episode about my mom and I going down to Casadega for an overnight stay to see what it was all about. They were having a Christmas fairy festival in a market. It all took place around the outside of the hotel and along the quiet streets. We got in the afternoon before to kind of get our bearings and to see what was what. But wait, I guess I should back up a bit and describe what it was like driving into the little spiritualist camp. We came in from the northwest, so we drove through the Ocala National Forest, and it was a gorgeous drive, by the way. Then we went through Deland and onto a tiny two-lane road with a canopy of live oaks covering it. And y'all, I'm going to tell y'all this bit because we're all friends here, right? Right. Just before we entered the little camp of Costa Dega, it was almost like we drove through like an invisible force field. I felt a little panic, an increased heart rate, that kind of thing. But once beyond that point, that particular spot, it was the most peaceful I might have ever felt. And I really do think that there's a reason that the founder of the camp chose this spot. It definitely has its own vibe. Not sure if it's the people or the land, but it's probably a combo of the two. So let's get into it. Welcome to episode 80, Quakers, Shakers, and Fakers. Oh my. This story doesn't begin down here in Florida, but up in upstate New York. A section called the Burned Out District. And y'all, in the mid-1800s, this area of New York birthed so many new religions. Research in the late 50s believed this occurred because this particular area of New York was kind of the Wild West of its day. It was extremely rural. Organized religion was probably far and few between. The folks who could read, read and interpreted the Bible in new ways, and new religions were born, such as the LDS, Latter-day Saints, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventist, originally known as Millerites, Vegetarianism, Prohibition, the Shakers, the Onita Society, and the Social Gospel, along with a group called the Ebenezer Colonies. And then there was the Spiritualist Movement. And y'all, it took the Western world by storm. 
And that's the one we're going to concentrate on today. Because it was a spiritualist who founded Costa Dega. First, though, what exactly is spiritualism? Spiritualism is defined thusly, a movement based on the belief that departed souls can interact with the living. Spiritualists sought to make contact with the dead, usually through the assistance of a medium, a person believed to have the ability to contact spirits directly, or with the, through the use of spirit guides. I'll have to give you a rundown of all the famous people from the past who were into this movement, for those of you who aren't familiar with it. Um, and you might be surprised by some of the famous names. More on those folks later. Let's meet the founder of Casadega, George P. Colby. He was born January 6, 1848 in Pike, New York. About the same time that the Fox sisters were starting to gain some notoriety. Um, they were a group of three girls who lived in upstate New York who claimed that they would hear different knockings and rumblings at night, and they devised a system of knocks to communicate with the spirit that lived in their house. Whether or not the house was truly haunted is another story, because later one of the sisters came out and said they were faking the whole thing, but then she retracted the story. So who's to say what really happened? More than likely, they just wanted some attention, and they got it because they actually the fox sisters went on tour at one point okay so back to george we talked about the fox sisters a little bit um he was raised by baptist parents and the family moved to minnesota when he was eight he was baptized into the church at age 12 and that's when young george's abilities really began to take off you hear a lot that near-death experiences sometimes generate these things, and some people are born with it. But George's came with a triple dunking. In fact, one of the first messages he received that was that he would one day found his own spiritualist camp. He became well-known locally for his healing powers and psychic abilities, namely being a clairvoyant. I'm going to pause the story real quick so that I can pass on this information from the Bitter Southerner, who one of their writers and husbands also took a trip, I think a couple of years down to Casa Dega is what the article said. So y'all look for them. Um, support other Southerners. Let's talk about what all the Claire's are. Okay, clairvoyance see, clairaudience hear, clairsentience feel. And one person can do all of these or not. So hopefully that gives y'all kind of an idea of what old George could do. He was a clairvoyant, so he could receive messages visually from the afterlife. Colby became well known on his circuit of seances. He became known as a seer, and he had several spirit guides, one of which he claimed to be a Native American man called Seneca, which was also the name of a Native American tribe who were native to the area that Colby came from. It was his guide Seneca that instructed George to go south to Florida and start a southern refuge for those spiritualists who didn't want to spend the winter freezing up in New York. George Colby teamed up with another medium by the name of T.D. Giddings, and in 1875 they took a train as far south as they could, and the last stop was Jacksonville, Florida. The pair then boarded a boat on the St. John's River that took them even further south, 
down to Central Florida. The boat stopped off at Blue Springs Landing. Then George and T.D. set off on foot looking for land that Seneca described. George was told he would know the land by its distinct seven hills and other natural resources. George settled here while continuing to travel and give people messages from the beyond. Then, in 1880, at the age of 32, he filed for a homestead grant. In 1884, he was granted title to the land and then went about designating 35 acres of his property to become the Southern Casadega Spiritualist Camp Meeting Association. He named the little community after Casadega, New York, which was a neighbor to the center of spiritualism in the north, Lilydale, New York. In an interesting coincidence, Casadega is a Seneca word for water beneath the rocks. And y'all, that kind of summarizes this area of Florida. Heck, most of Florida is like this. We literally have miles and miles of water-filled caves beneath us. And I wonder if that is something they would have had an understanding of in the 1870s. Was it divine providence or just coincidence? Y'all decide. But the name does fit the area. Over the course of the next nine years, George's compatriots from the northern settlement came south and helped him to build his southern spiritualist capital. On December 18, 1894, the first official service was held. George would continue during the camp's off-season, which was in the summertime, to travel and give readings. George Colby never did marry, but he did adopt several orphans and saw to their educations. He went on to donate another 20 acres to the camp. He lived fairly comfortable for a while, until he became too ill to travel and work. He passed away in Casadega at the age of 85, penniless. The Spiritualist Association paid for his burial through donations, but the community hasn't forgotten about their founder. There's a park and a temple that both bear his name. Side notes, y'all. I got a few this time. Sorry to my Adventist friends out there, but I'm glad y'all settled on Seventh-day Adventist because the original name sounded like a dude who really likes Miller beer. The Millerites. Um, I added Quakers to the title, but they're a way older group and weren't founded in the U.S., also, y'all know I got a soft spot for our abolitionist, peace, and education-loving Quakers. Oh, and here's a little inside baseball for y'all. Um, Producer Mike is a descendant of some of the original settling Quakers in the colonies, I guess it was. But I'll have to tell y'all that story another day. There was another religious group who voted on who married who, and then the whole community would raise the children together. I mean, y'all, who needs 90-day fiancé when we got this kind of history? But back to the spiritualists. They even believe in evolution, y'all. I mean, and there's people who are alive today who don't think that evolution is real. So I thought I would read their nine principles real quick, just so that you can get more of an idea of what a spiritualist is. Let's see. They have nine principles, and the first is we believe in an infinite intelligence. We believe that the phenomena of nature, both physical and spiritual, are the expression of infinite intelligence. Okay, so everything's made by an intelligent being. 
We affirm that a correct understanding of such expression and living in accordance therewith constitute true religion. Okay, so live in harmony with those things that a greater power created, and that should be your religion. We affirm that the existence and the personal identity of the individual continue after the change called death. So they believe in life after death. We affirm that communication with the so-called dead is a fact scientifically proven by the phenomena of spiritualism. Number six, we believe that the highest morality is contained in the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We affirm the moral responsibility of individuals and that we make our own happiness or unhappiness as we obey or disobey nature's physical and spiritual laws. Number eight, we affirm that the doorway to reformation is never closed against any soul here or in the hereafter. And number nine, the last one. We affirm that the precepts of the prophecy and healing are divine attributes proven through mediumship. Okay, so y'all take that as what you will. A lot of it kind of was what was written on the Georgia Guidestones, even though I hated to find out that the dude who came up with that may have been a Nazi. That was awful. But anyways, sounds like spiritualists are a pretty forward-thinking group. And Casa de Nega today is known as the psychic capital of the world with their numerous certified psychics. And I think I'll leave it to you whether you believe in any of this or not, but it sure is interesting. What I didn't mention is that mom and I went to a seance or a group reading while we were there, but I think I'll save those details for the patrons. And y'all, I have the type of brain that doesn't want to believe in any of these sorts of things. But then there's a little part that says, what if? Isn't the world more fun with a little magic in it? And I almost forgot. I told y'all I'd give you a list of famous spiritualists. So here we go. Mary Tom Lincoln, inventor Thomas Edison, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, also actress Mae West, some say Queen Victoria was, but I'm not too sure about that one because she was the head of the Church of England. Oh, and they even listed Dan Aykroyd on this list I found, but he comes from a long line of believers of the unexplained, so honestly, that one's not very surprising. We've even had several presidents who had psychics on their payroll. Um, the two that come to mind are Kennedy and Reagan. So, you know, again, take that for what it is. Oh, and I can't, can't talk about the spiritualists without bringing up Harry Houdini. He hated them. He thought every one of them was a fraud. And he actually was really good friends, apparently, with Arthur Conan Doyle. Doyle's wife fancied herself a trance medium. She did, like, automatic writing and that sort of thing. And so Conan Doyle and his wife met Harry Houdini one time and were, or not one time, they had had a correspondence. Like I said, they were friends. Well, she was going to contact his dead mother for him. And if you know anything about Harry Houdini, he was extremely attached to his mother. But they were Hungarian 
and she didn't speak English. But Conan Doyle's wife did not know this. So when she began doing the reading for Houdini, everything was in English. And Harry Houdini got the answer he thought he was looking for, which was he did not believe that there was really life after death. And to him, this proved it. And he called her out on it and was like, how is my mother speaking English to you right now when she never spoke a word of English in her life? So we have that. But then, <laughs> according to the psychic that my mother and I saw while in Casadega, that there is no language amongst spirits. That was her explanation. Because we did have like a... Um, a Latin family in there that was with us too and that was something that they asked about because one of their loved ones didn't speak English she only spoke Spanish and how was this you know white lady gonna interpret for them if she didn't speak Spanish but according to her spirits know no language boundaries let's see what else do I have for y'all okay so we're back to our oldest building by state and where are we? Tennessee. This mansion was built by John Carter in 1775 and was the first home in the state to have glass windows. The home can be seen today in Elizabethton, Tennessee. And y'all know what? If we've had Tennessee, you know who's next? <laughs> My home state of Texas. And according to the Discoverer blog, where all of these come from, it's the Alamo. The Alamo was originally founded as a Spanish mission in 1718, and in 1793, it was deconsecrated and turned into a political prison, hospital, and garrison. But most famously, it's known for the Battle of the Alamo in 1836. And y'all, remember the Alamo. Thank y'all so much for joining us for another episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it and learned a little bit about spiritualism. And Taryn, thank you again for your review. I got your email in time and I will be throwing in a t-shirt with your prize pack. And I will send you an email as soon as I get it in the mail for you. Make sure y'all follow us on social media. I always post pics to go along with each episode and... There's quite a few historical pictures out there of Camp Casadega. I guess I'll just call it that. Um, we post the pictures on Facebook and Instagram. And Producer Mike um, produces TikTok previews of each episode as well. You can also follow the show on YouTube. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email the show at loreofthesouth at gmail.com. If you really like the show, for as little as $3 a month, you can become a Patreon supporter. And just search The Lore of the South on Patreon.com. And thank y'all. We'll talk to you on the next episode of Lore of the South. Want to get in touch, got a show idea, or just want to say hello? Email the show at loreofthesouth at gmail.com. Stay tuned for a preview of our latest Patreon episode. It was not good. His grandmother yeah. took it also. Um, but it was an anti-nausea medication, and it was prescribed to Everybody. thousands yeah. of women in Europe and in America. Oh man! And then when they had when they're pregnant, and then when the babies were born, they were born with, without arms and legs. Oh Jesus! So there was like a, a 
it was wild. But anyway, so hers was a natural condition. Hers wasn't caused by the medicine. Yeah. What year did you say she was She, she was, was born, born in 1784. That's a surprise that, that they, I mean, uh, not not to sound horrible, but that they even kept the baby. Right. I mean, ama- amazingly. I mean, yeah. like, it's amazing that she wasn't left on a doorstep because she had um, three other siblings. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they had three healthy farm hands. Right. So, I mean, like, this was a family that took care of her. She taught herself how to sew, draw, and paint, all with her mouth. Um, I read one account that said that she would even do so in secret. Like, her parents would leave her alone at home, and her mother thought it was a complete waste of time. But, the painting um, and stuff? Yeah, her oh. learning how to write and oh, sew yeah. and all yeah. that with only the use of her mouth. Right. Her mother thought it was a complete waste of time. But whenever they would leave, you know, she would get to it and start practicing and stuff yeah well i so, mean that was probably an escape there at the beginning it had to be an escape from what you were dealing with on a daily basis i mean if you're dealing with the farm family in 1780s yeah you know yeah and this is like you know just as the industrial revolution is probably you know yeah. starting to get underway and even though she the the mother didn't think that that stuff was important Obviously, she she cared for her, or else she wouldn't have been around. So I mean that this this had to be an exceptionally loving family. I mean it had to be right. I, I mean yeah. I mean because there were homes for people. They probably would have locked her up in like a um, an asylum probably or something. It, well, it probably would have been an asylum. Yeah. If you loved what you heard, check out the Patreon page for exclusive content by searching for The Lore of the South on Patreon.com.